on this episode of the Star Wars Time Show. Matt is going hand solo as young Nick has been hit by the COVID. May the force be with him. Worry not because Matt will guide you through more Obi-Wan Kenobi would-have-beens and a cool reveal about the Ahsoka series. He'll also touch on the Mando S3 teaser leak and what may be going on for Din and Grogu. If anyone is still listening, he will also give his thoughts on the new Arena Boba Fett from Hot Toys. Of course, the show will end with the question of the week responses and the latest round of top five Star Wars fan artists. Punch it, Chewie! Hey now, everybody! Hey now, everybody! Reporting, all wings reporting. That's right, it's a solo show. I'm gonna need the SWTS community today. Why is it solo? Well, our good friend Young Nick is down for the count with the vid. Um, he contacted me over the weekend on Saturday to kind of let me know, and uh, he's like, dude, it is kicking my ass so unfortunately for young nick who is fully boosted vax whatever the hell you want to call it not that it really matters these days there's so much of this shit out in the world you're pretty much going to get it if you leave your house but yeah he's out and he is beat down so uh, like i said in kind of the intro here may the force be with young nick Let's hope he's doing all right. Um, uh, I mean, he didn't even get to the top five. He's like, yeah, I'll get to top five yesterday in between falling asleep, this and that. And he didn't make it. So hopefully he's still kicking. I always prefer when he is here, but I shall press on. Um, yeah, he didn't. It doesn't sound like he's gotten the, the, the version that a lot of us have received over these past few months. He's got the shortness of breath. He told me he feels like he has a gas tank in his brain now that after 15 minutes, he's basically on empty. So hopefully he fights through it and uh, he'll be back next week to talk whatever Star Wars items we will have to cover. Not that there is a lot to get into even this week, but uh, you know me, I'm a gas bag. I've got diarrhea of the Star Wars mouth, so there's a good chance I'll still eat up an hour, an hour and a half of your time going through the limited topics we have to talk about today. Uh, but there's some good ones. I'm, I'm most excited to kind of get into the Ahsoka stuff, the Ahsoka series and some of the things that we heard from the cast that kind of shed a little more light on how the Star Wars Rebels team, Phoenix Squadron, Ghost, the Ghost Crew, whatever you want to call them, how they will be um, kind of infused into the Ahsoka series in a way that some of us may not have expected. But we've got more Kenobi uh, discarded script items to discuss. We've got some Mando S3 leaked, better trailer stuff to discuss. And if you're on the live stream, which, hey, we'd love for you to join in every Tuesday, 2.30 p. EST, 1, 2, 3, A, B, C, on the YouTube, all right? YouTube.com slash Star Wars Time Show. So, uh, like I said, if you are on the stream, you see that I have a very non-Star Wars topic up to discuss for the opening segment, and it is the Thor Love and Thunder poster, all right? So, 
like a good geek, even with a dead leg, I uh, convinced my wife to <laughs> strap me into my wheel, my Amazon wheelchair last Thursday and wheel my broken fat ass to an early screening of Thor Love and Thunder. So I always like when we get to do this. It's just me, the lady, and the little lady. I order them, you know, a dine-in, AMC dine-in, get, the, get their dinner served to them right when we get there, watch the trailers while they're eating. So it's fun. It's something I've missed being um, kind of out of commission thanks to four weeks of no right leg at this point in time. But we did. We, we checked out Thor Love and Thunder because why not? That's what good geeks do. Um, unlike Nick, I still get into the MCU, although... I, I will admit that the phase four is just it, it's been an oddity to me at this point in time. Uh, you know, we're, we're no longer at the tip of MCU phase four. We're, we're fairly deep into it. I know COVID kind of delayed things and really spaced this phase out. But at this point in time, even after Thor, Love and Thunder, I just it doesn't feel like MCU phase one through three. Now, I'm not saying that's a horrible thing and I'm going to turn my nose up at the franchises and never go back and support them. That's not the case. I, I love I still love the MCU and, and what people are doing, especially mad men like Taika Waititi. But it, it, I don't know. It's just, you know, this is what like the fourth or fifth movie. And then you have all the Disney Plus shows and it just does not feel like phase four is as cohesive as phases one through three. Even the the stingers here and the stingers you get in Thor Love and Thunder, nothing feels interconnected yet. There is no almighty Thanos kind of shadowing everything. Um, But hey, they're they're still fun to watch. So let's get a brief little review of Thor Love and Thunder from the SWTS, your number one source for Star Wars hot takes that may be good, but are mostly bad. So, uh, you know, first and foremost, Thor Love and Thunder to me is 100% a comedy. So if you go into it with that, I think you're going to get more out of it. It it, it is, it's Monty Python, Holy Grail level comedy to me. I mean, just if you know Taika Waititi and if you watch any of his other works out there, if you've watched the most recent, uh, that pirate show on HBO, you can just... You understand the way the guy writes dialogue, the way he writes scenes, and that is present throughout the entire runtime of Thor Love and Thunder. Um, So much so that it's hard to take some of the moments that I think Taika wanted us to feel emotionally seriously because everything else is so slapsticky. Um, I, I think it's in a, in a good way, though. I, I, I enjoyed the comedy. I kind of like that Thor's become this bozo-esque badass you know i mean he still gets the job done but he kind of sounds like adult he's like the big idiot of the mcu at this point in time and i'm I'm kind of down with that but it, it does lack at least in my opinion some of the emotional kind of ties that earlier mcu films could kind of loop into your 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 cerebral cortex how's that for a big word uh, and that that is because of just the ever-present, in-your-face comedy, which, like I said, if you go into it, 
thinking it's going to be a comedy and, and just be prepared to laugh with all the other meat bags in your screening, you're, you're going to get more out of Thor Love and Thunder. If you're going into it thinking you're going to get something like Infinity War or Endgame or one of the more serious uh, MCU movies, then you're going to be disappointed. Uh, I, I think Hemsworth is still fantastic. Uh, I mean, the dude is a beefcake. I mean, he's he's either working out like a mofo these days or he found himself some good old roids in, in HGH. I thought Natalie was a dream. Uh, it's fun to see someone like Natalie Portman kind of play in a comedic film like this. Uh, because it, it, it's not her thing. Like, Natalie, in my opinion, is not a comedic actor. And I think that's what makes the character of Jane kind of stand out in Thor Love and Thunder. It's, you know, she's kind of the straight man to Thor's idiot. And you also can't complain about seeing Natalie Portman, you know, what she's got to be in her 40s at this point in time, looking all beefed up in that mighty Thor costume with some blonde highlights in her hair. I mean, as someone that has loved this lady since the prequels, you know, we're, we're probably close to the same age. I, I used to have that demented mind frame back in the back in 99 and 02 and 05. Like, hey, you know, if I could just talk to her, maybe we could be together. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know there's there's other dudes out there that probably felt the same way, but I thought it was fun watching Natalie seemingly have fun in this film. Uh, and, you know, like I said, she plays a good straight man to Bozo Thor. So I, I do like their dynamic together. And, and yes, like Bat is saying in the live stream chat, the goats are another one. <laughs> There's this, I, I'm sure for some people they're annoying as fuck, but I, I love the goats. And there's one moment in particular that I, I just... I mean, I, I couldn't help but laugh out loud because of just the visuals it presents with these goats. And it's just it's just another thing where you go, yeah, I'm I'm watching Taika Waititi Thor and that kind of makes sense. It, it's funny as hell. It looks dumb. It sounds dumb, but it, it, it makes sense for a Taika film. Uh, Bale, I, I thought was fantastic as as Gore the Butcher. Uh, it could have used some more of him. He was a one of the better MCU villains, as I'm sure you've probably read about at this point in time. Um, but you know, you know, overall, I, I if I don't know what it's trending like right now, Rotten Tomatoes. When I looked on Friday after audience was kind of allowed to chime in, the audience score was around 85, the critic score was around 68, and I honestly think. It's it's kind of an average of the two. I, I would give Thor Love and Thunder anywhere from like a seven to a, a high seven, like a like a 77 or something like that. Maybe a 75, 70 at the uh, at the lowest level. I, I still think it's worth your time to go check out, especially if you love going to the theater. It is a good theater movie, some good rock and roll. Oh, a little too much Guns N' Roses. I, I love the roses, but I feel like they they just kind of looped sweet child of mine over and over it didn't quite have the same punch as the you know the led zeppelin motif in in ragnarok but i i enjoyed myself it was silly it was a good time and like i said uh, worth checking out if you just want to go kind of have a a light-hearted mcu evening uh, now if you're a bit of a curmudgeon like my friend nick then you might as well just wait and let it come to disney plus because you're not missing any shocking or revelatory moments in the 
MCU Phase 4. All right, so there you go. There's my little take on Thor, Love and Thunder. Oh, I have to say, it did finally get me in the end uh, emotionally, and that's because it kind of plays on the father-daughter bond thing, and that's always going to fuck me up. I mean, it's just... It is... um, I don't know. It, it it was touching. It just made me think of my little one and us going off and, you know, kicking ass and taking names and all that type of stuff. So I enjoyed it. Uh, but my, my emotions are all out of whack these days since my leg. I, uh, we were watching, you know, as, as a family, sometimes we like to just throw on stupid TV while we're eating or at night. And, uh, we were, we were watching a, it was an episode of AGT where Simon's dumbass was kind of recounting some of the best golden buzzer moments from AGT. I know, I know. I, I can't believe I'm admitting this, but hey, such is life when you you don't have uh, all your legs working. Yeah, Bat, uh, so just going back to Bat here, if you're listening to the podcast-only version, he's asking, who was love from the movie? Uh, th- that's a good question, man. I mean, it's... I, I don't... I don't really want to get into how she was created. I mean, I, I'm sure you understood that. It, that, that what was that, that eternity God had a hand in it. And uh, I don't know, but yeah, you're right. I, I have no clue. Not that I'm well-versed in Marvel comics either. I, I don't know if that little love girl uh, is new or what, but I did like how that, that, that final note moment finally paid off on the title of the film. Uh, because all along you're like, you know, love and thunder, yeah, rock and roll. Is it about Jane and Thor? And then at the end, you finally get it explained to you. Uh, but yeah, clearly she is mega powered, right? I mean, got to be mega powered, little love. Uh, like I said, I, I, I'm kind of dancing around this because the movie hasn't even been out a week, so I don't want to get into spoilers yet. But yeah, I, I think love has potential to be very, very, very powerful if they decide to keep her in the MCU, so. All right, there you go. And no, Joe and Bat, I love GNR. It just just felt like they used the same damn songs over and over again. All right, well, this is the Star Wars Time Show, and uh, just because Nick isn't here doesn't mean we're not going to talk about Star Wars. I do have a few things to kind of dish on with all of you, at least the... The few of you, the wrenches and the diehards in the live stream chat. Like I said, join in. You never know. You might like it. You might hate it. But you will not know until you give it a try. YouTube.com slash Star Wars Time Show. And welcome to any new listeners or watchers out there. I mean, we've uh, the whole short content campaign has panned out in terms of getting new uh, subscribers and whatnot. I just don't know if that translates into, are they actually going to listen to the podcast and watch the weekly live stream? Hopefully that is the case because we always love finding new friends. All right. We always love finding new friends. Okay. So let's go ahead and shift into some Star Wars talk here. Um, I got to get my things are out of order here. Don't want to get into the, the Mandalorian thing quite yet. We'll save that. For a few segments down the show today, what are we on? Episode 221, big time in it. Will you stop playing? All right, here we go. The thing I want to talk about is a little live-action Star Wars in particular. Uh, 
the Ahsoka series. Oh, thanks, Bat. Getting some feedback on Bat here. He's digging my my remixes. I uh, it's kind of a, a lazy way to do reels on Instagram, but I am finding they are kind of fun. Where you know people leave the remix option open to where I can kind of put their videos side by side to my fat bald face, and I um, react to them. Uh, usually on the fly. So those faces you're seeing are just my dumbass being me watching some fun Star Wars content from other fans. I just reacted to uh, our boy Nova's upcoming stop motion, which I think is going to be dropping uh, on podcast day for the Star Wars time show. So Wednesdays and then uh, someone we've interviewed on the show last year, Plastic Action, Jax Navarro. He just made a stunningly smooth stop motion short featuring Thor, Jane, and a surprise guest at the end. And it's kind of a play on dirty dancing. So I reacted to that today. So thanks, thank you or thank you for the feedback there. Like I say, I mean, I hate begging and, and pleading, but I'll do what I got to do. If you see any of our short form content popping up on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, I would love a like, comment, shares, all that stuff drives interaction. So thank you, Team SWTS. Okay, let me take a breath. I think I have, um, I'm, I'm experiencing one of those moments where it feels like a nose hair is starting to go down your throat, right? And then come back out of your mouth. So give me a second here. <laughs> <coughs> Ah, hopefully that got it out. That's never fun, right? Especially when it's got a booger attached to it, because you you essentially have to suck it through your nasal cavity, out through your mouth, and then spit out the nose hair. So it's a good time. All right, like I said, there's a a, a pretty insightful update on the uh, live-action Ahsoka series last week that uh, first appeared in Empire Magazine. I did a little short on it. Thanks to all you that checked that out and shared it in your stories. It, it, it helped drive engagement big time. But um, anyways, two of the Ahsoka cast members that have been officially revealed, Rosario and Natasha Lou Bordizzo, uh, dropped some brief little insights into the Ahsoka series, which they are both currently filming right now for Disney+. Plus. And uh, as we heard at Celebration 2022, Ahsoka should be dropping, uh, you know, halfway into 2023. You have to think if Mando is coming February 2023 and it's going to have eight episodes, it'll probably end um, end of March, April, depending if they do a double drop to, to open things up, which would leave the Ahsoka series hopefully to get a, a summer slot or like the Kenobi slot. <laughs> I like the slot. Or uh, maybe even the Andor slot. That's why I'm thinking Ahsoka live action is going to hit Disney Plus Q2 to Q3 2023. I can rhyme. I must be a G. But anyways, these two lovely ladies dropped some some quotes that we'd like to discuss. And if Nick was here, I could speculate on. So maybe some of you in the chat will, will throw your thoughts at me to bounce off of. You never know, but um, here we go. So like I said, they, they sat down to talk with Empire Magazine, and uh, Rosario kind of let fans know, like, listen, I, I know you've seen Ahsoka pop up in The Mandalorian and in, in the Book of Boba Fett, so you know she's alive and well, or at least alive in the Mandoverse timeline. 
But she's like, fans really don't know who Ahsoka is as a character at this point in her life. And and that's what I think she was trying to tell us. That, that that's what the Ahsoka series is going to get us caught up on. Because you got to think about it. Before we saw her pop up in The Mandalorian in the second season, the last time we saw Ahsoka was in the epilogue of Star Wars Rebels, where she's wearing her Gandalf robe. It's all white and pimped out with her, you know, her head tails are poking through it. And she's coming to pick up Sabine to go look for the lost Ezra Bridger, who we know before, soon before the Battle of Yavin, got sucked out into the unknown regions of the galaxy with Thrawn on Thrawn's Chimera via the good old Purgle hyperspace whales. Uh. Excuse me. So that is the last time we saw her. So we don't, we don't really know what, it, what happened to her between the end of the Rebels epilogue and when we see her shaking down Morgan Elsbeth on that planet Corvus in The Mandalorian. And, and that's what Rosario is telling us. She's like, listen, yeah, you might have seen her, but you don't know, even hardcore Ahsoka fans, you do not know who Ahsoka is at this point in her life. What motivates her? Uh, what, what code she may live by? I mean, it looks like she's still living by a pretty good code. You know, she's on the up and up. If she's hanging out with Luke Skywalker, she's not like some shithead. But I, I, I found that interesting. So here, here's her quote. Let's see. I will not read it as Rosario. I'll, I'll spare you that. Dave and John are continuing Star Wars in a way where it can be standalone, but it also makes you hungry for more. There have been two instances where Ahsoka shows up on a mission. You see how she's interacting with folks, but you don't really get her per se. Even fans who've lived with her for so long don't know where she's at now in this journey. All right, so like I said... Think about that. What, what, what could we possibly see? Uh, I, I think we've all talked about this on this tiny little Star Wars time show that, uh, that there's a good chance they're going to have to feature some flashbacks to kind of get things caught up uh, from her time in Rebels. You know, the, the, the search for Ezra. Uh, how she gets mixed up uh, knowing where Thrawn is at and who to go after to get more information on Thrawn. You know, why is she going after Thrawn? Does he still have Ezra captured? Or does does Ahsoka think that Thrawn may know where Ezra is? I, I highly doubt Ahsoka on her own is trying to take down the Remnant Empire. You know, she was very focused on just Thrawn. Uh, and uh, knowing what we know from Rebels, it, it makes sense. But, okay, so how did she get to that point? How did Thrawn even get back, right? I mean, if, if Thrawn's in the Unknown Regions, but now he's back and, and hiring people like Morgan to harvest planets for resources, how did he get back and where's Ezra? So, uh, uh, to me, that is what Ahsoka has been doing. But what are some other things? I mean... Uh, you know, did, did, has she gone on other missions for other people to do good? Uh, how's she making a living? It, like Din, has she been taking missions for payment? Or does she just do things because she is closer to the light than the dark? And uh, Rosario's trying to tell us, like, you, you, no one knows this. No one knows anything about this character outside of us, myself, Dave, and John. Uh, so I think she's trying to tell us without telling us that in this season, 
we're going to kind of get caught up on what has happened with Ahsoka and what has made her who we have met in the Mando verse at this point in time. So uh, Kingdom, Kingdom of Weird has a comment that actually is going to lead into the next update for the Ahsoka series when he, he's saying here they could play a brief synopsis of Rebels at the start of Ahsoka like we saw with the prequels before Kenobi well Kingdom of Weird you're, you're kind of on to something here but before we get there uh, one of the first quotes from Natasha Lou Bordizzo on Sabine Rem is is um, this right here so Sabine is so fearless and brave with so much grace but she still has flaws she's not perfect she's on her journey She's making mistakes, and it's very high stakes in this galactic war to make mistakes. So, Natasha's telling us Sabine is, is more or less still the girl we, we last saw in Rebels, and she's out there on, on a journey, probably the journey to find Ezra, or we may even find in the Mandoverse timeline, she could be looped in with the other Mandalorians trying to uh, recapture their planet. Clearly, Bo-Katan's faction is into that. And based on their relationship in Rebels, Sabine was the one that gave Bo the Darksaber, there's a good chance they, they have been in contact. So uh, who knows what Natasha is saying here, but in terms of the Ahsoka series, we could very well uh, learn of Sabine's adventures with her own kind, the Mandalorians, but also with Ahsoka and potentially the other Rebels crew members. Um, but I, I think it's interesting to say, like, you know, Sabine is fearless and brave, but she is still a flawed character at this point in time. She's she's making mistakes and she's making mistakes in a in a, a galactic war that has very high stakes. So I wonder what that could be. Are her mistakes? Are they working with the Kool-Aid drinker faction, the, the Paz Vizlas and the armors? Uh, was it leaving the rebels to kind of do her own thing or is, is she making mistakes on, on active missions that could compromise whatever Ahsoka and the ghost crew is up to in the Ahsoka series. So interesting things to think about, you know, not, not, not a lot to run on, but you know, we're, we're getting some insights into kind of where Sabine is at, what type of character she has become by the time we see her in the Mandoverse timeline. Which, you know, without busting out a calculator, is probably going to be around, I don't know, to be safe, I'd say 10 to 12 years past the, um, well, I guess with the epilogue of Rebels, it would only be about seven years or so since we last saw her. But seven years is a long time uh, to uh, affect somebody, especially when you're living in a galactic of conflict. Because we all, we all know that the galaxy during the Mandoverse, while the New Republic is, is still present and in place, it's, it's still kind of a outlaw-centric type of galaxy. Uh, bad shit's still happening. The Remnant is out there. You've got the Gideons out there. The Throns are out there. Uh, they're doing dark experiments on baby Force users. So there is um, definitely some janky stuff going on. Bat in the chat brings up a good point. If you remember, Sabine was responsible for creating the weapon that could cook Mandalorians in Beskar armor. 
So I, I think that's a great point, Bad. That we we very may well see her reflecting on that. I mean, we we got to see some of the results of that weapon in the it was at the night of a thousand tears or whatnot that was briefly teased in the book of boba fett i mean you have to imagine that uh before that j- just bombing of the mandalorian I, I don't i don't want to call it a temple it looked like their their senate their castle some shit like that that you know the empire could have been using that weapon messing people up um so, yeah, interesting stuff. But, but really, here's the kicker in this interview that these two ladies gave. And, and it's, you know, I, I, I'm interested to see how you all kind of interpret it because I ran with it one way and you never know how people may run with it. But Natasha revealed that there's going to be a standalone Star Wars Rebels chapter in the Ahsoka series to get all fans caught up on the happenings and characters from that series. So here is her quote. A lot of people have not seen Rebels. It's great for them to have seen it, but we've got a standalone chapter as it is. All right. So again, to me, it sounds like I know some of you may may have a little PTSD from the Book of Boba Fett where we more or less had a standalone Mandalorian chapter in a Book of Boba Fett series. But it does kind of sound like we're going to get a standalone live action Star Wars Rebels chapter in the Ahsoka series. Now, going back to a comment from Kingdom of Weird in the live stream chat, you know, kind of doing a a story so far, three to five minute recap. uh, You know, was, was she talking about something like that? I don't think so. I mean, the way she says it, I mean, she literally says we've got a standalone chapter as it is. So, if we just run with the fact that the Ahsoka series is going to have Star Wars Rebels Chapter Zero in it, what could that entail? Is it going to be all flashbacks using the live-action cast? Or will it be still set in the present to kind of introduce everyone to the Rebels while through the Rebels and, and then talking and maybe them having flashbacks in the present we'll also get some of the Rebels' backstories that were already covered in the animated series. Now, knowing Dave and John, they're, they're, they're not just going to rehash an episode of Star Wars Rebels or, or do a montage of Star Wars Rebels' greatest hits using the live-action Rebels cast. I think it's going to be purposeful. So, to me, I think the standalone Star Wars Rebels chapter in the Ahsoka series is going to be set during the Mandoverse timeline, but fully focused on the Rebels crew. You know, maybe the episode before Ahsoka calls out to them because she's found something on Ezra. You know, that, that's kind of like the, the, the teaser we got in the Book of Boba Fett, where we, we kind of caught up to his story, and they're like, you know, Fennec's like, hey, I'm, I know who to hire, and we get that, the, the Mandalorian theme song played. And then the next episode was full-on Mandalorian. It could be something similar in Ahsoka, where, you know, we're watching the Ahsoka series, we, we, we got caught up with her character, now she's going to be like, oh, I gotta, I gotta call some old friends, and maybe they'll play the Rebels theme, or we'll see the ghost uh silhouette flying in space and then the next episode we'd pick up right with the rebels and the mandiverse timeline to kind of see what they're up to but within that episode maybe they get some 
similar to do flashbacks to some of the past moments. Specifically, I think the, the past moment they only have to cover would be the stuff with Thrawn and Ezra. So it could be a brief live-action portrayal of Ezra's heroic act to save uh, the Ghost Crew, Phoenix Squadron, and kind of Rebel Alliance at large. Uh, but I, I think most of this this episode, if it is as Natasha is is proclaiming, would be set in the Mandiverse timeline just to kind of get everyone acquainted with the Rebels crew that that didn't know them with a little bit of flashback kind of sprinkled in to kind of tip the hat to us longtime Star Wars Rebels fans while also, again, informing the uninformed, like, this is who these people are, this is what they're doing now, and this is some of the stuff they went through and, you know, why they're connected to Ahsoka, so on and so forth. So, yeah, all right, I'm going to the live stream here. Yeah, so um, I'll start with Bat. We get live-action Chopper. We, we've had live-action Chopper, and, and we saw, if or if you were at Celebration, you saw the uh, kind of the Rebels reel. Uh, there's definitely going to be live-action Hera. We, we get a behind shot, and, and that's it. So you have to assume there's going to be a live-action Ezra. Still don't know who is playing him yet. Is it Mina? Is it this guy? Is it that guy? Nobody knows. Clearly, Kanan's not going to be in it unless they go Force Ghost style. Um, Zeb's a good question. I, I, I hope they do include Zeb. I think Zeb in a practical costume like they did for Kersantan in Book of Boba Fett would be fucking banger. Uh, so, so that would be pretty legit. Uh, and now Kingdom of Weird, we, we kind of addressed this last week. So Kingdom of Weird is asking, can we address Captain Rex's age at this point? What's the chance of us seeing Tem as Rex finally? Uh, we talked about this last week. I think Nick did the math. He busted out the clone calculator. And clones essentially age at two times the rate of a human. So I think we decided that Rex could would be in like his 60s or so at this point in time. Because when we when we meet him in the Clone Wars, he he's a phase one. So he's essentially already 20 years old at the start of the Clone Wars. By the end of the Clone Wars, which took three years, he'd be about 26. Then if you fast forward, you know, we'll make it easy, 20 years to get into the events of the original trilogy, he's going to be about 46. And then if we add another, I don't know, 12 on to that, again, he's going to be in his mid-60s, uh, late 60s, early 70s, I think. So... That that is the age that that Rex technically would be due to his advanced aging. So yeah, I I think Tem could definitely be in there. Shave his head, give him a white beard. I think it would look fucking sweet. I'd love seeing Tem and his bald little head in a white beard with those. Right, Rex still had like jet black, I believe, jet black uh, eyebrows. I could be wrong. I'm just kind of pulling shit from my ass. Um, so that's saying fifties, I'm saying sixties to seventies, right? We, we, we got to figure that out. It's about 19 years between the prequels and the OT. So that'd be about 40 years. He already had 20 before that. So that's where I'm getting 60. And then if we go from the originals to the Mando timeline, which is 
seven years pass, that's another 14 years. So yeah, that's why I'm thinking he's going to be quite the geezer uh, during the Mandiverse timeline. I, I just think it's a foregone conclusion. I mean, Tem is so baked into live action Disney Star Wars at this point. He's going to be in it. All right. So let's just kind of let's kind of keep the faith on that. Uh, Kanan's kid. That is that is also a good point from Kingdom of Weird. So yeah, I, I could see you uh, Kanan's kid being in Ahsoka. And in fact, if they wanted to really kind of explore that, Kanan's kid could be one of the most interesting characters and kind of give uh, Ahsoka a, another storyline just just more just beyond the the find Ezra and find Thrawn stuff. Because you you got to think that Kanan's kid, there's a good chance he has some Force abilities, and what better person to potentially talk to or work with a Force user than Ahsoka? But I have to remind you of what she told Din back in The Mandalorian Season 2 about working with Force users. If she senses any sort of bond between them and someone else, she's out of there, so... I don't think Ahsoka would would choose to train or really work with Hera and Kanan's son just based on how we've seen her react to Grogu. But you never know. You never know. Maybe that's something we'll learn about that she tried to do, and and maybe that's why she's even more hesitant to do it by the time she meets Grogu. But to me, I think the reason she takes that stance is 100% related to um, Anakin. She saw exactly what happened to her master, Anakin Skywalker, when he had attachments. And I think she essentially is PTSD as fuck from that and has made a promise to herself that I will never train someone with attachment ever because I don't want to be the next Obi-Wan Kenobi. You know what I mean? All right, back cleared it up. Uh, It looks like Hera and Kanan's son is Jason Syndulla. I'm guessing Sindula since since Daddy died and Jairus wasn't really even his real name. Doom. It would have been Jason Doom or Jason Doom Sindula or Jason Sindula Doom. You just don't know. Okay. Looking at some other questions here. Alright, I think we're all we're all caught up on that. Thank you to the live streamers. I do appreciate getting some stuff to bounce off uh, of here. Yeah, weird. I'm with you. I did a run through of Rebels like two years ago with the little one when she still enjoyed watching Star Wars with the old man. And I do feel like uh, Rebels deserves another another screening in full, not even just the last season, but an in full watch, which I'll probably queue up just in time for the Ahsoka series dropping in 2023. So that's that on the Ahsoka talk. I, I was I was jazzed to see that reveal from Natasha. And quite frankly, I was like, damn, I'm, I'm surprised they didn't kill her for revealing that. Because that, that to me is a pretty big reveal. I mean, that, that would be like Pedro coming out and be like, oh, hey, there's a standalone Mando episode in the book of Boba Fett. Don't worry about it, fans. You'll see me. Or you'll at least see the stunt actors that wear the armor so I can just talk into a microphone in a closet and get all the glory. You know what I mean? So... We'll see. Hopefully no one takes out Miss Bordizzo. All right, because I'm a lazy ass and do a lot of this stuff in short form comment or, or content these days, I also have another update on the original Kenobi series script, which to get everyone caught up in case you're new here, 
this guy, Stuart Beatty, has been dropping all sorts of bombs, revelations from his Kenobi script, which was supposed to be the Kenobi movie before a lot of angry, salty fans ruined the whole A Star Wars story run in theaters. And while last week I was like, yeah, I think we're going to be done with this. The direct kind of beat it like a dead horse. But lo and behold, I think a day or two later, they released another bit of their interview with Beatty. And it was another kind of a headline grabbing reveal for Star Wars fandom, if you know what I mean. So according to Beatty, again, the guy that originally penned the Kenobi script, he is also credited as a writer in the Kenobi series. So, you know, this is all legit, but according to him, one of the big, one of the last big takeaways from his version of the Kenobi series was that Vader won the final duel. And there was a lot more Emperor Palpatine in the original Kenobi script. So, before we get to the Vader stuff, sorry people, without Nick, I'm sucking in a lot of air, so there's going to be a lot of mouth gas coming back at you. I am a pig and I apologize. But anyways, a little bit on how Palpatine was going to be involved early on. So this is a quote from Stuart Beatty himself. To me... Vader in this period is just so obsessed with Kenobi, so obsessed with revenge and what you did to me, you know that he just wants to put a lightsaber to him. And he doesn't want this to last another second. He wants to kill this guy. In my film, he was under pressure from the Emperor from the beginning. Forget Kenobi. Forget Kenobi. That's Anakin. Let that go. Focus on the present. We've got this problem and this problem and this problem, you know, and Vader just can't let it go. All right. So this is, um, it sounds like, you know, from the get go, we were going to get that conversation that we got at the end of this Kenobi series where Palpatine shows up casually. He's like, Hey bro, you done fucking around with, with this Kenobi jerk off finally? Like, hello, I need you. You're kind of my guy. You're you're a dark lord of the Sith, and people are scared of you all around the galaxy. We got these rebel cells popping up, and you're worried about getting a little bit of revenge on Mr. Hello there. So that that was gonna happen from the onset. And you know, to me, that that is more akin to the Kenobi Vader relationship that has been so expertly played out in the comics. We we we've at this point in time have not gotten that dynamic really in any of the movies or live action star Wars. You just don't see how demeaning and how subservient Vader is to the emperor when he is speaking to him. So uh, there, there is a part of me. I, mean, I, I love the Kenobi series. I'm not one of these people that's all salty about it or got worried about the production value. I thought it had a great story to tell and I love where it went, but Something like this, I think, definitely would have added to it and kind of honored the relationship that has been so well fleshed out in comics, uh, but we would have finally gotten it a bit more on the small screen. So here's here's another comment on how Palpatine was going to be used in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, and, and it was, uh, Beatty was kind of explaining, he's like, I, I was going to kind of have a few conversations between Vader and, and Palpatine to show you their dynamic. And, and this one in particular, it, it sounded like he was going to have them almost get into a bit of a comedic routine. So here's what he had to say. 
Palpatine was sending Vader to crush a rebel uprising on a moon somewhere, and he was saying, Forget Kenobi. Forget Kenobi. And I had this really funny line I thought was funny. But it was, you know, Vader saying, Look, Kenobi is one of the two biggest threats, you know, in the galaxy. And the Emperor responds, Well, you know, pity you didn't kill him when you had the chance. And Vader responds, the other one is Yoda. Burn! And uh, Beatty continues, and the Emperor just gets really pissed off at him. You forget your place. You know, so he's on him from the start. Let this go. That's Anakin. You're Darth now. Um, I, if done right, that could have been a pretty interesting conversation because you, you don't really kind of tie humor or even snark to the character of Darth Vader. So, I, I don't know, maybe that would have been a little too Taika Waititi for Star Wars, but reading it on paper and kind of thinking of how that would play out in my head, I, I kind of would like to see that. I, I would kind of like to see Vader talk back a bit to his master, because in the movies he is, he's kind of just the, the, the little bitch boy, you know, like, whatever you say, boss. And now in the comics you get a little more of his pushback and sometimes he he shivs sheave if you will uh but th this little uh funny scene that bd had planned i don't know in my head i think it could have it could have came off right and, and given fans something to smile about while also thinking like damn vader he's got he does have some balls of steel literally i mean they they truly could just be mechanical balls at this point in time so on to kind of the, the big beefy thing, the, the clickbaity part of this reveal is the fact that Vader in Beatty's original script was going to win the final duel. So I'll, I'll kind of set up how that was going to play out. And, you know, based on comments on the various platforms where the short was posted, it seems like a lot of fans would have preferred this, but there were some others going like, no, nah, that would have been stupid. So anyways, here we go. And this is Beatty again. Not me, because clearly I'm not intelligent enough to write Star Wars anything. In mine, Vader won the fight. They were fighting on this space station. It was falling apart in the atmosphere of this big planet, and Obi-Wan basically fell off. I kind of want to pause right there. If you remember some of the original concept art of, for Kenobi, where these two were fighting and Kenobi is in more of like a white robe and it, it, they, they were on like metal structures and shit was on fire and breaking apart right there. My friends, I'm, I'm pretty sure that was concept art from way back when, uh, but anyway, so here we go. So they're on this space station. It's falling apart. They're fighting. Uh, and, and Obi-Wan essentially falls off of the space station uh, back to BD speaking, Vader pushed him off and they separated. They didn't get a chance to find Obi-Wan, basically. But what was going through Obi-Wan's mind is the same thing, which is my brother is truly dead. He's gone. And while I absolve of that guilt because I didn't kill him, Vader killed him. I'm still just devastated. I'm absolutely devastated. So what BD is saying, like once Vader pushes Ben off the space station as he's kind of floating into space living because we know force users can do that he's he's reflecting on like all right he he anakin truly is dead like he was going to get the same closure we saw him get in the actual series so here uh bd kind of goes more into 
this final duel and Vader winning. In mine, he really did believe that Kenobi was dead at the end, which was the thing that allowed him to finally let Kenobi go and focus on ruling the galaxy with an iron fist. Because it always seemed that in A New Hope, he was shocked when he was like, I sense something, a presence I have not felt since. Why do you stop talking to yourself? It's because you're that shocked, you know? So I always felt that that was a moment when he suddenly realized, oh my God, he's alive. I mean, in the next scene, he's talking to Tarkin and Tarkin's like, what? No, he's dead. He's got to be dead, you know, but no, no, he's alive. So I felt that was justified and really the only way that Vader would have stopped hunting Kenobi is that he believed Kenobi was dead. So that's a lot to break down. And, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think BD has a great point. Uh, you know, we even saw it at the end of this series. Vader's like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm tracking Kenobi. I'm going to find him. So he clearly is not over that obsession. And it does make sense that Vader would be obsessed. I mean, he still has that that need to get revenge. So I, I, I think Beatty definitely was coming from a. A good mindset on having Vader feel like he won this final duel. Now, based on what we got, I'm still extremely happy. I, I think that final duel be, between Ben and Vader on whatever moon that was, it, it's fantastic. And we, we're already quoting the dialogue and, you know, Anakin is, is gone. I am what remains, blah, blah, blah. I killed Anakin, yada, yada, you. It, it, it's still pretty fantastic. But I, I do kind of understand why Beatty originally wrote it the way he did. Um, uh, so, yeah, and I know we talked about this early on, and I, I still believe Obi-Wan is not someone that could ever kill a, a beaten opponent. I mean, he, he showed us in Rots he, he couldn't do it. I know, you know, we, I guess we can give him some credit that he, he just figured that Anakin would burn up and die, but he, he did kind of leave him. He could have went up and stabbed him in the head. It just, it's, it's not in Kenobi's person to, to kill a wounded and broken warrior. I, I get the point that Kingdom of Weird's making in the stream here. Why let Vader just kind of continue to live? Because you know he's going to kill a bunch more people, even if they're not Jedi that you know, or Skywalker children. But that's just, I don't know. It, it, it made sense to me why Kenobi walked away. Uh, plus, I, I think he probably also felt like, look at, look at you, you pathetic thing. You more machine than than man now, you know. You you deserve to wallow in your in your hate and your revenge for me. It's like it's like Kenobi kind of thought like you know what, I can keep Vader from becoming peak Vader if he has to think in his head that I bested him again. Think about that way. You know, I'm not completely discounting what Kingdom's saying or a lot of other fans. Like, why would you just leave Vader alive knowing? what he what his potential is but if you think about it that way kenobi essentially rebroke him rebroke vader you know he broke him as as lord vader and anakin when he first put on the suit and you know we saw what that did by the time we got 32 year old vader in this kenobi series he was a bad ass dude 
killing kids for feeling sad that he was killing their dad, dragging women through the street, you know, wiping out his own inquisitors, fucking up Kenobi, burning him, torturing him. I mean, he was, he was not OP, but he was feeling it. But by the end of it, the, the, the person of his ire and someone that has probably lived in his head since that day on the banks of Mustafar, who he thought was weak and who he thought he could easily beat, actually regained his abilities to a whole new level and kicked the living shit out of him. So to me, that, that took Vader from a place of feeling good about himself and wanting to kick ass and take names to completely breaking him down again mentally and emotionally and reducing him to a, a, a screaming madman who could not dedicate his true power and being to becoming the biggest and baddest Sith in the galaxy. So there's, there's kind of a spin there for you. Um, it just, I mean, clearly they couldn't kill him because of established canon too, but I get it. I, I, I get the, you know, a lot of people questioning like, why, why just leave him there? But I don't, I think that makes sense to me. A, I don't think it's in the character of Kenobi to kill the wounded and the broken. And B, I do think by Kenobi leaving Vader in that state, beaten, busted, and broken yet again, just like he did 10 years prior, probably did more damage to Vader's potential than anything else that he came across before we meet him again in the original trilogy where, you know, he's a little more grown up, getting close to his 40s, and more into, you know, just kind of being a the emperor's hand, if you will. And then the uh, last thing here. Now, I would have liked to have seen this. Beatty also established in this his last little interview with the direct that, like, listen, in, in my Kenobi, Vader was the Jedi killer, and you would have seen it. So here is what the opening would have been like, or Vader's introduction in Beatty's Obi-Wan if it made it to theaters. To me, if Obi-Wan has a chance to kill Darth Vader, he would do it. See, this is where Beatty and I disagree a bit. I mean, you know, how many countless lives would you save, right? Especially knowing that Vader would be hunting other Jedi, which was established in the show. My film began with Vader taking on five Jedi at once and killing all of them, you know, so it established that he is the big Jedi killer. The, Inquis the Inquisitors are capturing them, but Vader is the big daddy who comes in and just lays waste to any Jedi, Jedi, all while hunting Kenobi. All right? So... There you go. I, I would have loved that opening. I mean, anytime we get to see badass Vader taking down other force users or just taking down anything. I mean, I'm kind of sick. I liked him uh, kind of terrorizing those those innocents on that Mapuzo planet. But to actually see him go against other force users, that that would have been something special. But I, I don't know. I mean, Obi-Wan had the chance to kill him and didn't do it in Revenge of the Sith, and then we saw it happen again. Um, I, I, I don't know, man. Yeah, I, I, it's like a kingdom. We're just going to disagree on that. I, I don't know. I just, 
I, I think him leaving him broken was was more detrimental to Vader's potential than uh, taking him out. Yes, many more people died, many more rebels died, but I guess that's the cost of war. And when you got to win a war against two Sith lords that require you waiting for the uh, Skywalker kids to grow up, sometimes you got to take a body count. You know what I mean? Uh, but yeah, I, I would I would have loved to have seen the Vader versus five Jedi. I think that would have been a treat and something that has kind of been portrayed in the comics. So there you go. Getting you caught up on Ahsoka and the Kenobi movie that never was. All right. So yesterday, someone got a cleaner version of the Mando season three teaser that was first shown at Star Wars Celebration 22. And, uh, you know, we, we, it showed up in our Discord, so I, I felt compelled to talk about it and, and kind of describe it, all that fun stuff. And um, I, I, the reason I didn't do a full breakdown with, with images or just use the footage is because I'm, I'm trying not to get any of our channels or content banned. Uh, the, the, this leak has definitely gone out all over the internet and it is definitely getting pulled down by copyright notices so that, that's why i didn't do a a full swts breakdown with visuals and whatnot but i do have a short for everyone i'd love for you to check out where i just kind of describe what this mando season three teaser had in it which i will so courteously do again now all right i'm not gonna not gonna play the short for you but i'll just kind of go through some of the, uh, I, I kind of wrote down 10 or 11 moments that could warrant a description. And I, I'd say one or two of them actually may have some insights for us in, into what we can expect in The Mandalorian Season 3. I mean, you already know what I think it's going to be about, and I think it's already been proved that that's what it's going to be about thanks to this teaser, and that is Din returning to Mandalore to try to regain his favor with the armorer and the kind of the, the, the cuckoo wing of the living Mandalorians. Uh, and really, the, this teaser hints at that. Uh, there's definitely a lot more Mandos in Season 3. Uh, I'm talking more than even in Season 1 when we saw the Covert come to Din's aid. Uh, it's going to be probably three, four, five times more Mandos than that. All right, so here we go. It opens with a shot of Paz, the heavy Mando, firing into the sky while children are running behind him. And then you, you kind of get more shots of Mandalorians fighting. They're, they're all random. Like, the, the, the armor's all different color. It's very unique. It's not like it's Bo's Night Owls or, you know, the armorer's Death Watch, if she is a part of Death Watch, which she more than likely is. Uh, it's not clear if the children are Mandalorian or if they're foundlings or if Paz and, and whatever Mandos, probably the armor, are just living with other basic humans at this point in time. But he, he's clearly protecting them from, from some form of incoming attack. Is it other Mandalorians? Potentially. Or it could be the Remnant Empire. It, it's got to be one of those two. I don't see any other faction really going after Mandalorians unless they've got some firepower behind them because they're fucking Mandalorians. You know what I mean? Uh, we then see a shot of the armorer with a child-sized Death Watch-colored helmet. 
Now, Scion in our Discord, which if you want to join up, it, it's free. We don't do any of that paywall bullshit. You can find the link in our Instagram bio. But um, Scion was saying the rumor is that, that this is going to be Grogu's helmet. And if you have seen the teaser, I have to challenge that because... It, it just, it looks too big for Grogu. It's definitely too high. I mean, if he put it on, Grogu's eyes would be at like the Mandalorian nose and mouth slit. Like it just, it just doesn't seem physically possible that this helmet could fit. Uh, that doesn't mean it, it, it isn't for him, but I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think it is. To me, and this is kind of one of my first speculations beyond just the general synopsis of what Din's going to be getting into, it could very well be a flashback of Din Djarin receiving his Death Watch helmet as a young foundling. You gotta remember, he was saved by Death Watch. That's why he is in the Kool-Aid drinking clan of the Mandalorian, um, of Mandalorian society. So, it, it, you know, there, there's reason to believe that when he was a, a youngling foundling, you say youngling, I say foundling, he was given a Death Watch helmet. And it looks like Bat is agreeing with me here in the live stream chat. So that, that's my guess. I, I really don't think it's for Grogu. I honestly think it could be the armor saying like, hey, we've taken care of you since you were found. Do you remember this? Or it's literally a flashback of Din donning his child-sized Death Watch armor, which I'm not going to lie would be pretty freaking cool to see. The teaser then moves into Din and Grogu, and they're in a dogfight in space. And the interesting thing to note here, in a lot of these shots, at least the ones in the teaser of Din in his shiny new N1, Grogu is riding in the cockpit. He's no longer in the special port that Peli kind of bored out for him. He, he's actually in the cockpit. Uh, I think that's going to play into another moment from this teaser that I'm going to talk about here in a few minutes, but it's like... Grogu and Din, they're so buddy-buddy, he can't even stand to be separated by some plastic and metal. He needs to be right in between his daddy's legs as they are flying that tiny N1 and shooting down bad guys. Um, so it, it, the trailer then moves into, we see armor, she gives Paz her hammer. This kind of a montage, so it's very quick cut. You see armor give Paz her hammer. Then it cuts to some Mandos dropping out of a ship. It, it does look like Bo in the Night Owls. It's not very clear because the footage, while more clear than the initial leak, it's still pretty blurry. Uh, and then you see the armor with her hammer again, whacking the shit out of a squid face. Um, I, I forget what they're... What, they're not Solace. Are they something? No, they're not Solistans. They're not... Mon Cal are, are those the Quarians, I think, maybe? Something like that. So uh, the trailer continues on, and th this, this is another one of my speculations here. Uh, we see Din land on a planet, and then it quick cuts to Babu freaking Frick and a bunch of other little Babus. It's like his whole, I don't know if they want to planet Babu or what, but there's, there's a bunch of little Fricks, and uh, I'm pretty sure the one is Babu because the fans cheered, you know, he, and you can hear him kind of like, hey, yo, 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 ho, like he talks. And, and here's kind of my wild speculation for why, why Din Djarin and Grogu have to go to the Babu Frick Nation. All right, Corin, I got it right after a while. Thank you, team. Live stream chat. 
Uh, but anyways, back to the the Babu and why Din may be there. And, you know, this is potential spoilers if you if you don't like listening to our leaky type of stuff. So one, two, three, spoiler. But if you remember from a few months back, we got a, a leak from MSW, I believe. So it, it's probably legit that in some form or fashion, IG-11 is going to be brought back into the fold and kind of serve as Hulkbuster armor for Grogu in battle. So it, it, it may not be just full-on IG-11 is resurrected, but it, it, it's coming back in a way to where it's going to serve as a, a suit of armor, just like Iron Man would use with the Hulkbuster, for Grogu to fight and, and be protected and, you know for all intents and purposes, kind of be the same height as everyone else that is fighting. So I'm thinking, we, we know Babu Frick is a droid hacking master. So what better place to take a mostly destroyed carcass of a droid than to Babu Frick? To have it kind of restored and kind of pimped out to accommodate Grogu for this mechanical suit of armor, uh, which we also heard is is basically going to talk to Grogu and guide him just like Jarvis did for Iron Man. So that that's why I think they're going there. I mean, there, there's really no indication. You don't really see any IG-11 parts. But if that leaked rumor is true, it just makes sense to me that you would take a severely damaged droid to Babu Frick Nation to either have its memory dumped into a better body or to have it, like I said, kind of tricked out into some crazy-ass Hulkbuster-like contraption for Grogu to get into. Um, so that's my guess. You heard it here first. Write it down, everyone. And if it comes true, we're definitely going to have a motherfucking Star Wars time show speculation win party which is usually me talking to a few of you and coming off like a narcissistic asshole. All right. So after that, we get a quick shot of Grogu watching fireworks from the cockpit of the N1. Not really sure what, what that could be. You know, who, who is celebrating at this point in time? My guess it could be maybe they're back on Navarro and we, we know grief Karga at this point in time is like the magistrate. Maybe he's, having some sort of celebration on Navarro. We, we also know on Navarro from season two that they, they actually have a shrine to IG-11. So maybe that's why they go back to, to find the parts and hang out with grief, get mixed up in some hijinks, and then have a little fireworks show at the end. From there, the teaser goes into a shot of Bo and Grogu, and they're, they're like it's some sort of camp. And I know there was a, a different sizzle reel at Celebration that kind of showed these two together, and Bo even said to him, like, hey... Yeah, I bet your dad never told you that he's not the only Mandalorian. And she seemed kind of shady. I mean, honestly, I think Bo-Katan is going to... Might get a little villainess in Season 3 of The Mandalorian. So, um, you just... You don't know. But they're at this camp, and it, it just... It, it kind of had Luke's camp and Empire Strikes Back on Dagobah vibes to me. For some reason, they're alone together. Maybe this is when Din has found the living water under the mines of Mandalore, and he still thinks Bo is good, 
and he leaves Grogu with her. I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I think Bo is kind of a bit off her rocker after realizing that Din was the one that truly won the Darksaber via combat. Which I also think Moff Gideon set up to kind of cause some divisiveness be- between what he sees as the biggest threat to the Remnant Empire, the Mandalorians. You know, what better way to kind of lessen the impact of Mandalorians banding together than to kind of get them caught up in a culture war? It's like the same shit that politicians do in most countries. You know, get get your base fired up with a culture war even though the culture war, there's no policy behind it. It's just what people say. It's really nothing that you're ever going to have to abide by as a law-abiding citizen. So who knows? Just keep your eye on, on Bo-Katan. I, I, I don't want to say she's going to re- revert back to her full-on shithead Death Watch days, but she, she definitely has... She's got her own motivations outside of just seeing Din and Grogu be safe and Din get his honor back. She wants to rule Mandalore. She wants that dark saber, and she wants it the correct way, the way of the legend, so she can feel like she can fully unite the tribes. Uh, another cool shot. There's like the. It looks like a star destroyer that is in some sort of dock. But it almost looks lived in, as in it, it, it's been repurposed for, for like a, 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 a condo, uh, you know, a, a, a condominium neighborhood. Now, that, that, that could just be the way that uh, it, it looked and maybe it's just truly docked. But, you know, this is the first time we're, we're seeing what appeared to be a full on Star Destroyer in the Mandoverse timeline. I mean, Gideon kind of had his Corvette type of deal, but it was not a full-on Star Destroyer. So, uh, but, but, but to me, it, it did. It looked like it had been repurposed on a planet and turned into like a habitat. But who knows? Maybe it's one of these other moths or, uh, or these other remnant generals and leaders that Giancarlo Esposito talked about in a recent interview where, you know, he's trying to bring them all together and get them to buy into his vision for restoring the empire to prominence. So you just don't know. That's what I mean, Bat. You know, some good old overhauled fix my house type of shit or this old house renovated star wars star destroyer apartments that's exactly what i was thinking thank you okay so after that in the teaser we're almost through all the moments here we get to see din in another space battle but he's fighting above some moon or asteroid base I don't want to go so far as saying it's one of the moons of Mandalore. It, it, it truly looks more like our moon or, or the surface of an asteroid and not like, what was that? Uh, is it Concordia or Concordon? One of those that we've seen in the Clone Wars and Rebels. Uh, but, it, you know, it looks like they're, they're attacking a station where the station's attacking him. They're blowing shit up on the surface, but there's people also dogfighting with the N1 uh, so, so who knows? Again, you know, it could be a Remnant Empire station that the Mandos are trying to take out. Or, like I said, it, it could be either Bo's faction of Mandos or the Armorer's faction of Mandos. I, I do think there is going to be a little bit of a, 
ruckus between these two factions before they realize like, hey, this is what this is what fucked us all up in the first part. We were fighting each other. We had the like the the hardcore traditionalists that kind of aligned themselves with Death Watch, and then you had the Mandalorians of the future that aligned themselves with Duchess Satine. And because they were not united, that allowed Maul to infiltrate Death Watch, which allowed him to bring in the Republic, which ultimately allowed the Empire to take over Mandalore and completely annihilate them. So while I do think the Kool-Aid faction of Mandalorians and the more Bo-Katan realist faction of the Mandalorians at first will not be on the same page. There may be some shooting, some grappling, some burning, some punching, but then something's going to happen. And be like, you know what? Let, let's, let's, let's get our shit together. Why are we fighting each other? We need to be fighting the remnant and taking back our planet. Now, you know, reading the tea leaves, you would think Din Djarin's probably going to be the guy that, that is the mediator between these two factions. Uh, but you just don't know. I mean, how much ambition does Bo really have at this point in time for that Darksaber? Is she willing to uh, kill Din, kill Grogu, or, you know, kind of dishonor herself again to get the power? Or will she see that, you know what, this, this guy who's gotten mixed up in some pretty heavy shit in the galaxy over the past year or so, maybe he is the guy of legends that we heard about. Maybe he is the one that's going to find that mythosaur and ride it and bring prominence back to Mandalore. And that kind of gets them all on the same page. All right, this next one here, Kingdom of Weird teased earlier in the live stream chat, uh, but we get more Mandos fighting. We don't really see who they're fighting. Is it the Empire or is it each other? Again, it could be either one. But we get another, another shot of the N1, and this time... It's very clearly it's very clear that he now has R5 in the droid pit. And Kingdom of Weird, I, it almost feels like you're my guest host today. But I, I really do think that is the R5. And the the reason being is who's his main mechanic and who is the droid whisperer? Palimato. So it, it makes complete sense that at some point in time. He needs to get himself uh, an astromech, either, who knows, for hyperspace navigation. Y you never know. You got to remember, Din wasn't always the biggest fan of droids because of his past and, and what the droid army did to his family during the prequels. But we also know uh, through season one and, and working with IG-11 that he, he ended up finding a, a place in his heart for the wired citizens of the galaxy. So I could see him finally breaking down and be like, you know what? I do need a droid companion or at least temporary. I need a companion to get to this secret part of the galaxy that only a droid could calculate. So I'm going to go hit up Pelly and see if I can borrow R5, the one who used to have a bad motivator. Um, but yeah, I, I think that will be more of a, a loan or a, or a handoff. So, and, and I really do believe that is R5 in uh, Mando's shiny new N1. And then the last shot here uh, that was in this teaser, it got a big reaction from the fans that were watching it in the theater, but it, it appears to be kind of that war-torn, destroyed-looking surface of Mandalore, but we see it from the perspective of a flying ship. 
And if you look at the ship's hull, it's hard to tell. Is this an Empire ship? Is it the... Is it the uh, ship that Bo-Katan stole from Gideon, or is it a a brand new ship in uh, general? So that was the teaser. Sadly, I don't think we're going to get anything official that's not from someone's shitty phone in a theater until we get to, uh, you, you know, closer to 2023. I mean, in fact, it, it might not even come out until uh, March, April. May of 23. Uh, but hey, sometimes you got to you got to applaud those people that like to break rules in these behind the scenes events and whip out their phones and record shitty versions of stuff that not everyone gets to see because now we at least have some insights into what Mandalorian season 3 is going to be about and look like. It, it, it's pretty amazing that they had a, a lot of this finished footage with special effects and all. Uh, ready for this teaser when you think about Mandalorian rap production, uh, I don't know, a few months ago in 2022. So what's Bat? Bat Bat in the chat here. Bat in the chat. Bat's in the chat. Bat, Bat's in the chat. He's saying, end of season three, Bo betrays Din. Huh. Interesting. I, I mean, I could almost see that happening midway through the season, and then by the end, that's when Din kind of has his big, uh, big moment of of meeting the prophecies of Mandalore and, and kind of paying off on some of the shit the armorer was spouting off. Because I'm telling you, don't sleep on those scenes from the Book of Boba Fett between the armorer and Din. You can clearly see that she sees something in Din that she doesn't see in Paz or really any of the other Mandos that were in her covert. She knows he's special. That's why she trains him and, and kind of berates him and, and, and wants him to get better at wielding the Darksaber. And even when she excommunicates him, she still, a minute later, gives him the knowledge on how to get back in the good graces. So I, 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 in the story she tells of like, oh, these are only myths, but listen, Dave and John, they're, they're not going to infuse those myths just for fun. I, to me, that was all foreshadowing. And there's a good chance if, if Bo turns or not, after she sees whatever crazy ass heroic shit Din does in season three, that could potentially see him riding a living mythosaur. I think she's, she'll kind of get back to it. All right, so that's that in a bag of chips when it comes to the recently re-leaked cleaner version of the Mando S3 teaser that was shown at Celebration 2022. I see we got SW Props in here, fresh back from hopefully a successful trip over in London at, I don't know, it was like Showmasters or something. He was over there with Lauren Mary Kim and some other uh, performers that have been involved in live action Disney to do some signings and whatnot. Uh, SW Props is going places. He's got clients. I think his boy Tate Fletcher is who gets in uh, Paz Vizsla's armor when we see him on screen. So I don't know. Maybe maybe the Star Wars Time Show will be getting some in some deeper insights into the Mandalorian season three because. There's a good chance Props was talking to Simon Cassinitas as well at this Showmasters events. All right, good. He just said it was very successful. Love to see that. Anyone that supports the Star Wars Time Show, we will support you as much as we can in turn. That's what we're here for. You know what I mean? But you know what to do, Justin. You know what to do. Send those, send those leaks. 
we got to get back on the board. We got one on the board for uh, the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, and it was it was confirmed to be true. Uh, but I'd like to get more on there, like Bespin Bulletin and making Star Wars, you know? You know what I'm saying? All right. So, what type of time we working with at this? Not bad. Hour 22. I figured it'd be like that. I mean, I, I, I usually can talk about Star Wars forever, but with the old broken leg these days, keeping my leg the way I have to keep it at the desk, it, it tends to get pretty freaking annoying. Although overall, I think I'm, I'm a month into this fucked up journey that I decided to go on this summer by smashing my leg at the knee on my one wheel. Uh, things are getting better. Um, it, it still sucks to not have two legs. Uh, but mentally and somewhat even physically, at least from a pain standpoint, uh, life's getting a bit more tolerable. Uh, okay. All right, props. Yeah. We, we got to figure something out. Send me some DMs. I mean, you, yeah, you, you got to... We got to get on the map as a go-to leak spot, so... Let's figure this out, but I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to reveal anything more. We got to keep this shit secret. Got to keep it secret. No one would ever trace you back to us anyways, because guess what? No one even knows we exist. So you're good to go, bro. And I've been doing this for over a decade and first in just regular movies and video games. I know how to keep things on the DL and protect sources. All right. So, like I said, that's really all things Star Wars I had to talk about. So, it is time for episode 221's fan segment. We do it every week. We're one of the only Star Wars podcasts out there that actually dedicates a weekly segment to our fan base. And you might be asking yourself if you're new, well, what the hell does that even mean? Well, we, we, we give our fans two routes, routes, if you're from Pittsburgh, PA, to get involved. All right? Two routes. You go down Route 8 on your roof and stuff like that. But anyways, there, there's two methods to kind of get involved in the Star Wars Time Show fan segment, which happens every week, free of charge, as our last segment. So the first way is the question of the week, which we're going to get into right now. So every Tuesday on Instagram at Star Wars Time Show, I post a question in our stories and in our, uh, just in our feed. Hold on. Let me see if I can find where Slack went here. Hello, Slack. Come back. Slack. You got to be kidding me. All right. Give me a, give me a second. We got a, the old, I mean, it wouldn't be an episode of the Star Wars time show without some technical issue. Uh, we definitely have one going on right now. So we might not be able to share the question of the week, but we can, we, we'll, we'll definitely still get into the, into the segment. I'm going to try one more little, one more little fix here. No, that's not going to work. Damn you, Slack. Damn you! Oh, Slacky Boo. What is going on here? Oh, there we go. There we go. Everyone clap me out here. Yay for you. You are a, you are a tech troubleshooter extraordinaire. All right. So here we go. Question of the week. All right. As I said, every Tuesday morning, 
We'll post question a week to our IG stories at Star Wars Time Show and in our feed. So this week's question asks, how much Star Wars Rebels focus do you want in the Ahsoka series? I mean, look at me. It's like I know what I'm doing. I kind of themed it to one of today's topics. So here we go. Let's check out some of the responses. I did not have Nick, so I kind of had to do his trick where I just grabbed huge, huge screenshots of the comments. So sorry to those of you that replied. There were not many. But up first, we've got Black underscore Series underscore Customs. A great customizer, by the way. And he says, minimum, because I feel she's more a Clone Wars era character than the Rebels, though I'm happy to see her in anything. While I agree with that statement, the fact that they decided to introduce her in The Mandalorian under the guise of she's searching for Thrawn, that kind of ties her to her Rebels storyline and past. And, you know, I mean, she was in that show quite a bit, so... Um, I, I feel you, Black Series Customs, if you listen. I doubt you do, but it, it makes sense why the Rebels are going to be infused into the Ahsoka series. All right, here we go. Here's my big screen grab block. So I snagged one from SW Black Series Clips, who should be dropping a new stop motion anytime now. I'm thinking tomorrow, Wednesday, or if you're listening to this on a podcast platform, good chance it's out on his Instagram or YouTube, wherever the hell he puts it. So here's what Black Series Clips had to say. I'm good with 50% to 75% being Rebels focused. Holy shit. I mean, he just wants Star Wars Rebels with Ahsoka. Um, If this is the only, only true continuation of the Rebels story that we're getting, then I'm all for it. I would like to see some Mandoverse thrown in as well as some TCW flashbacks. Could get messy with that formula, but I'll let Dave make that work. That's... A, a very smart statement. He is going to let Dave make that work. I, I trust in Dave at this point in time, just like I did with Kenobi and all these other series. If, if it makes it to us, guess what? It's gone through Dave Filoni. And if he's good with it, I'm good with it. So, and, and really, this is Dave's first series that he is predominantly writing himself. Uh, this is not like The Mandalorian, where John Favreau is the main writer and Dave might pitch in here or there, just kind of be a sounding board. Ahsoka is 100% Dave Filoni. I think John's getting a producer credit, just, hey, you got to get paid. But but the Ahsoka series is going to be all Dave, and we know TCW and Rebels was all Dave as well. So he's going to handle this with kid gloves, and in my mind, do it perfectly. So... I, uh, I don't think you're going to get 50 to 75% if we can trust Natasha Lou Bordizzo. Bordizzo! I, I think, you know, I hope Ahsoka is eight chapters like Mando has been, but, it, you know, it could be like Kenobi or it could be like Book of Boba Fett, sub eight, six or seven. If that's the case, I think one standalone chapter to kind of focus on the Rebel will, will probably work. And, and let's be real, I, I, I do think they're also going to join Ahsoka in this Mandoverse timeline to um, kind of see what they've been doing since the Empire has fallen. Uh, are they still combating the Remnant? Have they fully looped into the New Republic? But also, where's their fucking friend Ezra? That is 
the big question mark for all of this. And we know it has to be addressed again because of the choices made in the Mandalorian season two with Ahsoka. You don't introduce Ahsoka under the guise of she's looking for Thrawn without essentially telegraphing to the fan base that, that knows us that are in the know rebels in the know that we're going to figure this shit out. That epilogue was not just open-ended we are finally going to show you what happened. What happened post the fall of the Empire with Ahsoka, Sabine, Hera, Jason, uh, Zeb, Chopper, maybe the ghost of Kanan. You don't know. Morai. I mean, hell, they, they all could be involved. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think we'll be good Black Series clips uh, but I, I don't think we're going to get 50 to 75%. I, I think one dedicated episode should do the trick. Should do the trick. Because you're going to get, I think you're going to get plenty of Rebels dynamic just in the present Mandoverse timeline doing whatever they're doing with Ahsoka. Uh-oh, we got a, we got a new winning handle here. <laughs> William Shakes Penis. Love it. That's up there with Grief Cardboard and some of the other good ones we've seen, but... (laughs) William Shakes Penis. Here's what he has. My God, this is so fucking... (laughs) See, this is my favorite segment because it gets me laughing even if it's not Nick reading so I can laugh at him reading it, but... (laughs) And they even have a William Shakespeare portrait for the um, Avatar. So William Shakes Penis, here's what they have to say. A lot. People sleep on Rebels. Besides, it's literally a continuation of Rebels just in live action. Yeah, I agree. I, I really do. And that's kind of why going back to Black Series Customs comment, like, hey, you know, Ahsoka's more TCW. Well, when you go through Rebels and then you kind of factor that into how Ahsoka was reintroduced in Mando, it, it, it is full on a continuation of, of Rebels with hopefully a heavy dose of, of character focus for the character of Ahsoka. Uh, I mean, because outside of those three episodes in the final season of The Clone Wars, we, you still really haven't gotten any contemplative inner monologue Ahsoka. You know, why, why, why is she the way she is in the Mandoverse timeline? Why was she so quick to turn away Grogu? Is it all PTSD from Anakin or have other things happened? Did the, did the stuff that happened with Ezra affect her? Because, you know, she technically helped him in his Jedi path. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm very excited. While we got some great Star Wars in 2022 and we've, we've got more to come in Andor and I believe uh, Vision Season 2, next year with finally getting the Mandalorian. I mean, think about it. We're going to have gone, what, almost three years before we got a proper Mandalorian season. I mean, that is crazy. So that's going to be a huge event. And then, you know, it's going to be followed up by Ahsoka, which to me is just, uh, has just as high of a ceiling in terms of potential as the Mando itself. Uh, if not being able to extend beyond it, because for someone like me that's been there with TCW from day one, Rebels from day one, I have a long history with the animated Star Wars universe and the characters. So I'm all about seeing how they cross over in the live action and what they've been up to and, you know, how the galaxy has changed them at this point in time. 
All right, up next, we got Crimson Viper 1138. Maybe he is related to Tones 1138. Rebels has its problems. I disagree. But what a great show. I agree. After the disappointment that was the Kenobi series, I disagree with that, but everyone has their own opinion. I say, give us more Rebels-level characters and storytelling. So Crimson, you know, a little wishy-washy here there, but it sounds like they're all about getting some Rebels-level action. And then last but not least, I think this comes from Rogue Ranger Customs. I didn't get a Ripic Tan story reply today. Um, a lot! If Thrawn survived, then Ezra must have too. We need some explanations on how that is and not another so-and-so return somehow. Amen, brother. You can't do that. We saw what that did to the Rise of Skywalker and ultimately just completely pissed and shit on a lot of great Star Wars narratives that existed before the whole somehow Palpatine returned meme moment at this point in time. I mean, it was a meme within the movie. It's become a meme. It, it deserves to be a meme because it was stupid. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Rogue Ranger Customs. Here we got a, a new person to stream. I like it. We got the handle here, Jedi Dick Sensei. That's another good one. That's up there with our William Shakes penis that we just read about. So welcome there, Dick Sensei. All right. So that is, like I said, I told you there's two ways to get involved in the Star Wars Time Show fan segment. That was question of the week. Just hit us, hit the Star Wars Time Show IG account every Tuesday morning. Look in the stories, look in the profile grid, and you'll find the question. Leave a response, and you may get it read on the show. The other way to get involved is our time-honored, very iconic amongst Star Wars artists, top five Star Wars artists of the week. So the way this comes about throughout the week, yours truly right here on Instagram, I look for anyone that has tagged at Star Wars Time Show or has used the hashtag Star Wars Time Show to share any of their Star Wars art. It could be toy photography, traditional real-ass paint, T-shirts, tattoos, fecal matter sculptures, pee jugs. It doesn't matter if it's Star Wars related. We want to see it. So tag us, use the hashtag. Every day I wake up and while I'm laying in bed with my dead ass leg, I'll go through the tags and hashtags and I'll feature some shots that stand out. Then on Monday, after a week of those features, my co-host, who's usually here, picks his five favorite shots to be discussed on the show. And that is what we're doing right now, except this week, because my Chewbacca has COVID, I did double duty. Did all the features throughout the week, and now I chose the top five. So without further ado, here is this week's top five Star Wars fan artist features of the week, covering July 5th to July 12th. All right, so here we go. Up first, and this was by far my favorite series of shots this week and the, these are lego shots if you're not on the live stream hopefully you if you're listening to the podcast only just go go ahead and pull up starwarstime.net and check out the podcast post for episode 221 you should be able to find these images uh, i'll do my best to describe them but at yc underscore solo created a series of shots recreating scenes from the obi-wan kenobi series using legos and the first one we're looking at is just so awesome and it is a shot of Darth Vader 
on um, Jabim using the force to pull down that uh, path transport. I mean, it just looks amazing. And I believe everything is practical from the background, obviously, to the figures. And as I scroll through, there's, there's even more recreations. The next one we're looking at here is Lego Vader and Lego uh, kind of repimped Kenobi fighting on that moon planet. And it, the, the, the scene is Kenobi throwing the rocks. Just fantastic. The one we're looking at now is a pulled out shot of their duel, the final duel, crossing sabers with that moon in the background and the just the dark tone to the planet they're on. Just looks brilliant with Legos. Love it. The one I'm looking at now, it's kind of playing off the motif of Obi-Wan and Anakin when they're in the back to tanks and how they could almost sense each other after Vader burnt Obi-Wan up a little bit. There we got one Obi-Wan with Tala and Ned B. Again, a great looking recreation shot. Uh, we got one here with Reva and her duel with Vader. It just, I, I don't know. I love <laughs> Lego minifigures posed for toy photography it's it's one of my favorite subjects in toy photography and and i love especially when they're recreating scenes from star wars so i'll flip through some of these other ones here here's uh, reva fighting the snow or the um, t-47 on nur uh, here's kenobi during the hallway rescue scene on nur and then again the escape from the rescue on nur the the chapter that pissed a lot of people off apparently uh, the one uh, episode four, part four that they did not like. And then just another shot of the duel between Kenobi and Lego minifig Vader. Just epic stuff there at YC underscore solo. One of the best when it comes to Lego Star Wars photography. Our next feature this week comes from at Odal underscore studio. Another favorite of ours. Uh, this person's been on the top five more than a few times. But this setup we're looking at here is just freaking fantastic. Again, for those that can't see, we have a mix of rebel pilots. You know, Luke's in there, Jaina Solo, Homeboy from Rogue, Rogue One, uh, Homeboy from Solo. Uh, it looks like Poe's in there. You can even see Hera. But, but what I love about this shot and the way it's the staging. Because they're all set up and it's like they're, they're, they're drawing out their battle plans using wooden tie fighters and x-wing and like a on a little battle map it, it, it's almost like if the, if these rebel pilots were doing their battle plan uh, not in a in, in a ship or not on a bridge where they kind of have that hollow projector to do their planning they're using practical items so you know maybe they're they're off world or they're on a planet and they don't have access to their technology. So like old school World War II style, they're drawing it up in the sand and it just looks fantastic. Uh, I know there's two Luke Skywalkers in here and Poe wasn't in the same generation as Luke. It still works. It's just a cool looking setup and the shot has some nice elements too. Good lighting, nice atmosphere it's just, I, I, I love little scenes like this that just tell a complete story the moment you look at it. So this is coming from at Odal underscore studio. Our third top five artist of the week is another returning top fiver. And this is at Kill Cutter Photo, Mr. Gizmodo himself. And this shot is probably one of my favorite Kill Cutter Photo designs of all time. And what it is, it's kind of a crossover with Jurassic World, but you have shirtless Maul, 
with his lightsaber split, so he's dual wielding. He's in an o- the open mouth of a T-Rex, stabbing it through his head with one of the lightsabers, and it just looks badass. I mean, Maul's eyes are... They're like exuding this white flame light. The dinosaur's eye is rolling back in its head as its life is leaving its lightsaber stabbed body. There's like drool reflecting and smoke reflecting coming from the, the, you know, the T-Rex's mouth in the haze of the lightsaber light. It's just fantastic. I mean, I know it's a crossover and nothing we'd ever see. But it is a kick-ass crossover between Star Wars and Jurassic World. And, you know, Kill Cutter Photo is a master of these, these practically shot um, toy photos that he just enhances to the nines with his uh, Photoshop skills. It's just, I, I love it. I, I think the lighting is probably my favorite aspect. And, of course, Maul's pose into the T-Rex's open mouth and ultimate head death so excellent stuff here from at kill cutter photo on instagram up next we got a tattoo that's right i told you it's not the top five is not relegated to just toy photography i mean it's not like i even do toy photography myself anymore i still have some shots to share and edit uh, but my haywood pop account is more or less dead uh, so I share stuff there and it just it just goes and, and dies a slow algorithm death. But that's all right. I don't get hung up on that shit anymore. In fact, breaking my leg and not even having the option to shoot all these new hot toys. I mean, I told you last week I got I got uh, Acid Watch Boba Fett hot toys, Tuscan Boba Fett hot toys, General Skywalker, Mando Ahsoka, Clone Wars Maul. Empire Luke, Shore Trooper Mando, Tank Commander Mando, Moff Gideon Mando, all these hot toys have showed up after I broke my leg. And not that I was doing a lot of toy photography before that, but it's, you know, you people get me. Whenever you can't do something, you kind of want to do it more. So I want to get to shooting my my toys, but that's not why we're here. We're here to talk about this kick-ass mall tattoo from at cody underscore tweedy and uh, i i remember sharing the the first tattoo if you're on the live stream you can see this sleeve that this person's getting which i am quite jealous of there was a great uh, uh tcw final season ahsoka portrait and now cody has added the mall on top of it and I I consider myself a tattoo expert at this point in time because when i first smashed my leg on the one wheel I watched every single season of Ink Master from start to finish, like consumed 13 seasons of the shit in about two weeks. So while I can't draw for shit, I know it looks good. I've learned about good lines and blowouts and shading and this stuff, this, that, and the other thing. And I'm telling you right now, Cody Tweedy, he's got it all. Uh, If I could call up Dave Navarro, I would get his ass to somehow revitalize Ink Master and get at Cody underscore Tweety on the show, right? I don't care if it's on the Ink Master Angels or Grudge Match. I want to see this guy on TV do this art because it is just awesome. I mean, this mall portrait is stunning. Uh, the, the shading provides uh, great lighting. 
the portrait is drawn where very well the lines are nice and straight they're they're thick so it seems like this tattoo will last and it's not going to fade and it's just another tattoo i'm looking at i'm like fuck why could why didn't i think about that why didn't i go hey i want a cool ass darth maul portrait on my arm uh, you know, I, I want tattoos so bad. I'm just one of these bozos that struggles with being able to describe a design to an artist that I would want to wear on my body for the rest of my life. There, there's no real fear here. I kind of like pain and I'm, I'm curious to see how much it, it hurts because I'm sure it sucks. Uh, I, I also have really shitty skin so that, that I, I kind of question how would my skin even react would I be like one of these asshole canvases on Ink Master whose skin goes like beet red, making the tattoo look all blown out and and, and scratchy and kind of overworked? Um, but, you know, if, if I could get at Cody Tweedy to, to do it, I, I might give it a go. It just looks great. I know Cody Tweedy's gotten into some of the toy photography. And Cody, if you're listening... You are sadly one of the accounts that, for some reason, we can't see your shares using just our hashtag anymore. So please also tag at Star Wars Time Show. Like, not, not in the comments. Physically add tag, tag Star Wars Time Show. And that's kind of a notice for anyone out there listening. Uh, if you're sitting there feeling like we've been ignoring you and, and punishing you on purpose, that is not the case. It's been really the last three weeks. Uh, hash, uh, hashtags on Instagram are completely unreliable now. So if you are someone that's always been involved in the SWTS and the hashtag, hashtag Star Wars Time Show, make sure you still do that, but also tag at Star Wars Time Show so we can guarantee see you. Um, I don't know. I don't know where Cody lives, but if I'm ever, ever there, I might have to swing by his tattoo parlor because the dude's got me sold on his Star Wars work 100%. Again, one more time, at Cody underscore Tweedy on Instagram. All right, last but not least, and this may be one of our first, first top five artists that took a picture of an actual human in Star Wars garb and made it look like toy photography and i'm talking about this shot right now from at jack period stanny on instagram and if you look at it and just take a glance you would be like hey then you know this is a nice toy photography of the book of boba fett boba walking away with a gaffy stick dragging it through the sand and in the foreground is a stormtrooper helmet that the gaffy stick was used on to kill him it just it just looks rad i don't know I, I like the perspective i like the idea of the shot but when i first saw it i, I looked at jack stanny's uh, caption and he revealed that this these aren't toys Th that's an actual human in some kick-ass boba fett cosplay that jack shot for his instagram account and it just it just looks cool i mean it, it's it, it kind of tricks you you know you look at it Especially, you know, if you're a follower of Star Wars Time Show, you know that we mostly feature a lot of toy photography. You're like, yeah, that's a toy shot. Well, it's not. This is a completely practical human subject shot from at Jack period Stanny. And I dig it. I, I think my favorite part is the perspective. Low to the ground, looking up at the subject. Uh, kind of a forced perspective on Boba, who's in the distance, even though you have a Stormtrooper helmet in the foreground. 
it, it's just a it's just a cool looking shot here from at Jack period Stanny. And that's that, my friends. I feel like um I'm stealing from you, but considering we don't charge for this shit show, I guess I'm as they say in the corporate world. I'm returning some of your day back to you now that we finished this meeting early, right? I, I know there's some, I know there's some corpos out there that listen to the SWTS, and I feel for you. I used to be one of you, but after about seven years of it, I um, instead of driving into oncoming traffic, I decided to completely uh, do a 180 in life and get into academia, and I. Uh, Outside of never realizing my dreams of being someone in in Star Wars that other fans kind of look to on a large scale, I'm doing all right. It was a good decision. Corporate life is a fucking buzzsaw. A buzzsaw. But anyways, we're almost at the two-hour mark. My leg is screaming a little bit. Did a little workout beforehand. Probably not the smartest idea, but I've never said that I am an intelligent human. So as we do, it's time to wrap up the show. I, I miss not having Nick here to kind of tee up the wrap up, but it's time to say goodbye. If I would, if I remembered Fred's song, we'd do the whole goodbye Mr. Rogers thing. I'd go ahead and get my coat back out of the closet, change my shoes for some reason, and say goodbye until another week. But how we do it over here, we like to remind you, why you're here, and why we do what we do. And that's because there's always time for Star Wars time, and we just want more people to understand that. So the wrenches, you're the best. The, the, the in-and-out listeners, we love you too, but we always need more. You know, I, I like, like Tinkerbell, I need those claps, those laughs. It gives me life. It gives me purpose. The more, the merrier, as they say. So if you're out there doing a little stumping for the SWTS or you're trying to recruit new fans or if you're just new listening, head on over to StarWarsTime.net. That's the best place to go to kind of see some of the content we're going to discuss throughout the week or on upcoming episodes of the Star Wars Time show. But more importantly, we have all our links to find the podcast. Like I said last week, we added a few new platforms such as Amazon Music and Podchaser. We've got easy links that you can just click on. It's going to take you right to those podcast platforms for you to get subscribed. And please do. Even if you just watched the live stream, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast platforms as well. And if it is a podcast platform that offers ratings and reviews, we would love for you to take the three seconds that it requires to fill one out. Because the more you tell the machines that you like us, the more the machines will recommend us to other bags of meat. You get it? We all understand the internet these days. We all understand social media. It, it, it's not really about the content and what goes into it. It's about algorithms and how humans react to it. So the more our AI overlords realize that humans like us, the more they will recommend us, which just is going to equal more and more growth. Getting into the short form content has helped. But I also love just word of mouth and organic outreach. So give us that love. Spread it around. Keep them coming because there's always time for Star Wars time. Oh, Cody, 
you made it just a few minutes late. I, I, I had an extra long segment on your lovely tattoo, so make sure to go back and and, and check that out. But you know, I guess if I'm ever in South Dakota, I need I need to swing by because I'm a huge fan of your work. And like I said, if I knew Dave Navarro, I would give him a call up right now and try to get him to get Ink Master up and running so you could go on it because your your Star Wars work is awesome. But alas, it is time to go. You can always watch the Star Wars Time Show on replay on YouTube or the podcast-only version will release on Wednesdays on damn near every important podcast platform you can want. If we don't have one that you want, you want the wrong one. Trust me, all right? Get those ratings and reviews in. Let everyone know there's always time for Star Wars Time. Send them to StarWarsTime.net. I'm trying to look for an out in this conclusion. I can't quite get there. I'm spinning my wheels here, so I might as well just go to it. Uh, why, why you're talking about the Star Wars Time show? And why you're fumbling and bumbling like I am and spitting out the StarWarsTime.nets? Just make sure to remind those fans that aren't in the know of this podcast for a more uncivilized age that if they do listen to it, the Force will be with them. Always.